Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. The Gators drop a heartbreaker in their home finale uh, to Missouri last night. Obviously, uh, the Drew Smith layup at the buzzer, but the problems for Florida really started uh, after they got a 7 nothing lead. Yeah, right. Right away, it's, it looked like Florida was was uh, maybe going to have an easy one. It looked like they were playing great. Uh, Missouri had a couple disjointed possessions to start, uh, but then very quickly they climbed back, uh, took the lead back from Florida, and then uh, just always seemed like Missouri had had good control of the game as much as as Florida brought it close. Uh, I thought that we saw some stuff in the the first half where uh, the way that Missouri was guarding ball screens, the way that they were using Jeremiah Tillman and and, and playing through him, it just seemed like they had Florida kind of figured out. Um, if I had to put one kind of phrase on it, I, I just, I thought they had Florida's defense figured out. I thought they had Florida's offense figured out. I thought they came very prepared and uh, really just played a, played a really solid game and uh, Missouri really deserved that one. 15 turnovers in the first half for Florida, speaking to your uh, having Florida figured out. I mean, sometimes a team has your number. Obviously, uh, Missouri really walloped Florida in, in Como last year. So, you know, you're wondering if, if Kwanzaa Martin has Florida's number a little bit, how much uh, they had a whole week to prepare for the Gators. Obviously, they, they weren't on a COVID pause, but they had a game canceled because of a COVID pause and just really active hands in the first half. And then I thought, Florida will run good offense, Eric, and then they will insist on doing some of the things that are, are just mind-numbing, including um, having Noah Locke as a primary dribbler in the pick and roll, uh, which it was funny, like a few shows ago, I remember we were talking about the positives of Noah Locke's game, and I said, you know, he really takes care of the basketball, but like he doesn't take care of the basketball when he's the primary ball handler in the pick and roll. I'm not really sure that's his fault. Uh, your thoughts on some of the stuff that Florida did that made it a little easier for Missouri to be so active. Yeah, well, something about Missouri and their activity is the fact that generally they're not a very active team. I, I know I said on the podcast they're a team that plays really conservatively, and that is something they do. They're 252nd in the country in uh, in turnovers forced, or they're probably higher after playing Florida, but uh, they went into playing Florida the 252nd uh, in the country team in, in, in turning opponents over. So getting after their opponents, forcing turnovers is not something they do. And that was something that was really interesting about the way that Florida was turning the ball over was that it, it wasn't like Missouri was sending traps. It wasn't like they were being really aggressive in passing lanes. They kind of just like let Florida have some of the players like Tyree Appleby, like Noah Locke, like Scotty Lewis, get into the teeth of their defense and pick up their dribble. Uh, and it's 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 an interesting way of you know ter- forcing turnovers. You think about usually forcing turnovers. You think traps. You think being really aggressive. They kind of goaded some of these players into the middle of the floor. They picked up their dribble and and suddenly they just had, had nowhere to go with it. So uh, yeah, something that was interesting. So Tyree Appleby has a bunch of turnovers. We we know that a lot of them were were him initiating out of the pick and roll. That was four of his turnovers. Uh, something else that was interesting. So I think that Noah Locke and Scotty Lewis each finished the game with two turnovers each, but. Um, if you look at like the play-by-play data uh, on six of Florida's turnovers, uh, three each, uh, it was uh, it was plays that started with uh, Scotty Lewis or Noah Locke pick and roll. So while it wasn't them throwing the ball away on a couple other of those other turnover plays, it was offense that kind of stagnated and didn't look very good because uh, because those two were were used as uh, as pick and roll ball handlers. Yeah, it was a little bit of what Kentucky was able to do as well earlier in the season. 
you know, similar philosophically. I don't think Kentucky did anything particularly disruptive in their man-to-man defense. Obviously, I think their length bothered Florida a little more than Missouri's did. Um, you know, Missouri, as we talked about, not necessarily long, certainly big and physical. Um, but same thing. I mean, Florida would initiate drives against the Wildcats and pick up their dribble, and then disaster would ensue. And I thought that was so much of what happened in the first half. Uh, so that's a great point that, that you're making there, Eric. And, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, I think I texted you from the arena with Florida had like a two point lead. And I texted you and said, man, Florida's playing bad. I really feel like if they get to halftime close, we're in good shape. And they kind of didn't like to fall behind by seven, uh, had a good look for Colin Castleton at the end of the half that he missed. Um, but a 36-22 run, if you want to call it that, for Missouri in the last 18 minutes of the half after a Quanzo Martin timeout, early timeout, and uh, just one of the worst halves that Florida's played all season. Yeah, just uh, w- one more thing. I just uh, I know some people are going to want to want to see some numbers here for for some of these pick and roll plays. Uh, so something uh, something of note. So uh, so for Noah Locke. He is when he is the pick and roll ball handler. The Gators are at zero point seven nine points per possession. For Scotty Lewis, it's zero point eight three points per possession. With uh, when Noah Locke runs pick and rolls, uh, he has a twenty four point five percent turnover uh, turnover rate. That is very high. Um, Scotty Lewis, when he runs a pick and roll, uh, there's a thirty three point three percent turnover rate. So every time that they run a ball screen for Scotty Lewis, it's a one in three chance that the Gators are turning the ball over. Uh, with Noah Locke, it's one out of four. So again, what was particularly baffling, of course, is uh, is not only are those plays still happening, but but man, there was a, out of a timeout, they ran a they ran a pick and roll for for Noah Locke, zero point seven nine points for possession, one out of four chance they're going to turn the ball over. Like again, it's like so so at zero point seven nine um, with quick math. So I mean that's the equivalent to a player who's uh, like a twenty six percent three point shooter. So if a player on on Florida was shooting 26% from the three-point line, w- would you see them running plays to try to get that player three-point shots? <laughs> um, probably not. And you know what? Th- th- that might be a better play than a, than a Noah Locke pick and roll because at least that player is not going to turn it over one out of every four times or or one out of every three for Scotty Lewis. So so again, I know some people uh, some people last night were during the game were, were tweeting me for exact numbers. Um, it's a little tough to get to during the game. So, so here are the numbers for all, for all the people that are listening. If that helps contextualize why, uh, yeah, if Florida comes out of a timeout running a pick and roll for, for those guys, uh, it's, it's, it's tough, but, uh, but yeah, like, uh, like you said, Neil, um, just, uh, just one of the things that kind of went wrong in a, in a bad, bad half of basketball. Yeah. And I, I do wonder what the number of what Keontae Johnson's numbers were in the pick and roll last season. Um, and I hate that. I, I don't want to. I don't want to keep bringing this up, um, but I think we're remiss to not point out that when you don't have your first team All-American, there are certain things that they are forced to try. And I think you can still point that out and say it's March now, and surely they don't need more film that tells them <laughs> that Noah Locke as an option as a primary ball handler uh, in the pick and roll is not going to work, right? Like this is, you know, it's just not effective. And I and I thought. Um, you know, it really bit Florida last night. Uh, they also got popped in their uh, inbound defense. Um, 
which is another thing that, that I think uh, Eric had pointed out on Twitter and we had talked about on the show that we were a little confused by their 2-3 defense. It's interesting, like, they did run that action for Noah out of the pick and roll, and according to Hoopslands, they're in the top 20 in offensive uh, points per possession out of media timeouts and timeouts, and they run that low an efficiency play. But they're in the 200s on uh, defense, Eric, and you saw – how you get to the 200s when you give a layup up off the uh, the old pass off the butt. Oh, by the way, so our, so our listeners know, um, both viewers and, and folks who end up listening to this recording, um, because of where I was sitting, I sit very close to the Florida bench when I'm at the game. And uh, shout out to Jordan Mincy. I mean, I think he probably heard vocal cords screaming at Castleton to turn around. And it was like watching a bad horror movie. In slow motion. Yeah, which I and I know you texted me that, Neil, and it's interesting to hear you tell the story. But at the same time, I mean, they've been aligning in that exact defense with their center, with their back turned the entire couple of weeks. So it's kind of weird to suggest, oh, was he not supposed to do that when that's been the alignment yeah. for the last couple of weeks? And then, then of course, like if, if you're going to zone up on those baseline out of bounds plays, that center in Colin Castleton's situation, he has to be aware of cutters because again, if a cutter cuts through from one side of the floor, uh, these perimeter players can't chase them. I mean, it's a, it's a zone. They're not going to leave their, leave their space to go chase a cutter. So he's kind of, if you're going to play that defense, he's kind of got to be turned. He's got to be aware of cutters because um, as much as him throwing, getting the ball thrown off his back is kind of embarrassing for the Gators. Uh, so would be the case if he was turned looking at the inbounder and there was a cutter that they left wide open for a layup. I mean, so again, that, that, that of course puts into question, is this a, a good way to defend baseline out of bounds? I, I think it's a tough one. And, and again, it's, it's maybe something that earlier in the season, but uh, against these teams that are, that are better scouted. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's, that's going to be tough. It really is. So Florida with 15 turnovers uh, in the first half, that's more than they had in several games this season. I think Jake Wenderman tweeted out that stat and they had surpassed their, their total game turnover total in the Kentucky game was 14. I'm going to sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Um, action. Yeah. Goodness. Uh, so, you know, I think, uh, Obviously, it had to get better in the second half, and Florida came out, got behind by 10 points, uh, but then played really inspired, uh, high-effort basketball. Very good defensively. I thought their rotations – well, we'll get the we'll get to the whole holistic view of the defense. But for this segment, was very we were, they were very, very good defensively. Uh, got a lot of stops, got back in the game, and then cut it to one on a Colin Castleton uh, basket, which was his first bucket of the game. Uh, Castleton screams. I, I guess he screamed in the direction of Doug Shouse. The Doug Shouse experience teased him up and uh, kind of swung the momentum back to Missouri a little bit. Yeah, uh, so those those technical fouls, when, when the game just like stops and it ruins all flow and there's – one team gets to shoot free throws and and, and they get the basketball. Uh, that, that it just always seems to seems to swing the momentum like more than those free throws would would suggest just suggest on their own. It's just like the way that the the clock just stops and it takes a while to sort things out. Uh, they're always just momentum killers. And uh, yeah, I mean, pretty soft technical. It, it in my opinion. Um, yes, he yelled and one and looked at the ref, but I just I just thought man and basketball in, in 2021 uh, for him. Like, and again, it's one thing if he, if he stops, looks right at the ref, 
stares him down. Uh, but I mean, he's running back on defense. He turns, he looks at the ref and, and yells, yells and one. I mean, that that's just something that, that I think, I, and again, we can argue what should or shouldn't be called a technical foul, but I would also just say like, let's just look at college basketball on the whole. Does that get called as a technical foul with regularity? No, it does not. And therefore I thought that that was a, a pretty weak call. So that actually cut it to three and that was within uh, Florida had cut it with to, to three from 10 uh, within the first three minutes of, of the second half when that technical was called, uh, like I told you pretty close to me, I'm not sure that he even knew where uh, Shouse was, by the way, like I thought when he said and one, he was kind of just screaming in the general direction of the crowd because of the way that the play was Shouse was, to his right and Castleton's basket was moving to his left, uh, I guess what would have been Collins right and Collins left is where Shouse was. I'm thinking about where I'm sitting <laughs> and uh, like, I think he just yelled and you know, whatever. I, I thought it was a terrible call, uh, but nonetheless, Florida recovers from that. Of course, Drew Smith hit both those free throws, uh, but then Florida cuts it to one and, uh, with about 60 minutes to go on an Omar Payne, uh, a really nice pass from Scotty Lewis and an Omar Payne basket. And then uh, you get the Anthony DeRuji call, which um, so like both times, I think Florida got, you know, awfully, uh, awfully difficult calls that, that kind of affected the basketball game, Eric. I, I am just truly astonished that that happened. Like, again, like a technical foul in the heat of the moment um, can be pretty rough to, to review that play and call that a flagrant. I was like, I was, I was truly in awe. And, and I'll tell you, I, okay, I do not say the statement that I'm about to say lightly. I, I did my research. I, I, I did a lot of Googling, looked on YouTube, looked on NBA Reddit, look at, look, asked some people on college basketball Reddit, searched Twitter for, for the bad tech or the, sorry, the bad flagrant fouls. I, I truly think that that was the worst flagrant foul call I've ever seen. And I, and I, I, like I, like I said, I did my research to try to find a worse one. I don't think I've seen a worse flagrant foul call in my life. So the fact that they were able to review that play and, and come to that conclusion, like I, I'm just like, truly in awe like i feel like i just hiss like i i i just saw college basketball history right there like potentially i should be impressed that i i truly saw the worst technical or the worst sorry i keep saying technical the worst flagrant foul i've ever seen like i i just thought that was just heinous just heinous yeah that so that was the first half flagrant foul uh the technical foul comes in the second uh second half and yeah, uh, Drew Elmich asked if it was a worse flagrant than when the Georgia dude flopped out of the Florida huddle last year. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it was. To be fair, on the Doruji flagrant, they missed the free throw. But the two free throws Drew Smith made on the Castleton one, obviously, uh, Florida lost by two points. So I told Eric last night I was going to mention that on the show. Uh, I thought it was a very poorly officiated basketball game. Um, and I thought – even by college basketball standards, it was pretty bad. I also would have, if you're going to call the technical foul on Colin Castleton, I am thoroughly convinced that I am correct that when Mitchell Smith decided to do the Gator, or Mark Smith decided to do the Gator chomp uh, with 0.7 seconds left in the middle of Florida's court, that's a technical foul. Uh, and you have to call that technical foul. And you call it even though there's 0.7 seconds left. Otherwise, you're officiating the last second of the game differently than you officiate 
a moment in the game with 1714 left, which is like rule number one for don't do this fun at referee school. So, um, you know, that I, I did, I know that there will be a couple podcast listeners stunned to hear me actually, uh, blame referees that they're all saying, you always make excuses. They have a hard job. I thought they did a very poor job last night. And I think it affected the outcome of the basketball game. Doesn't mean there weren't things Florida couldn't do to win. Doesn't mean that if Florida doesn't play better in the first half that they wouldn't have won. And it doesn't mean that you take anything away from Missouri who played desperate and looked like the hungrier team and played better. Um, But still these things affect the outcome and should be mentioned on the show. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, again, when you when you have the just you know true honor of witnessing the, the worst flagrant in, in college basketball or or NBA history, like I said, I was looking at I was looking at both games trying to find a worse flagrant, particularly one where they reviewed it. Um, yeah, I just I it, it's it's definitely worth noticing. So, uh, yeah, it was tough, but you know what? I just as a hard pivot, like let's talk about Trey Mann. I just we we've gone we've gone too far. Probably could have mentioned that he was the only guy in the first half uh, that you mentioned was such a bad half. He was the one that the only one that kind of had it going, and uh, in the second half it was kind of the same deal. So, uh, what were your what were your general takeaways from a uh, uh, from another wonderful Trey Mann performance? I mean, Trey Mann is really, really good, right? Uh, and so my thoughts on Trey Mann are a couple things. One is it's startling how efficient he is. Uh, two, and I was going to get to this in the Tennessee preview, but I'm going to go ahead and, and mention it now. Um, I think that regardless of his startling efficiency, the best object lesson and why he should be shooting more was the end of the game. Florida gets behind 70 to 62. Uh, they isolate for... Man, he gets a basket. All of a sudden, it's 70-64. Then he gets another basket, and all of a sudden, you know, it's Colin Castleton at the line shooting free throws to tie the game with 20 seconds left. They're just running stuff. Let's let's go ahead and run these continuities and get Trey Man going. If you're going to do that, like I would rather see Trey Man take an uh, off-the-dribble triple guarded than I would like to see Noah Locke run another damn uh, – pick and roll off the dribble. We we're like two, uh, two followers of Jesus Christ here. So when we bring out any sort of, uh, any sort of color, you know, that we're getting angry, shoot the ball tray. That's my take. Yeah. I, I, I truly think that. And, and I wrote about this. I've got a, for some of the, the the paid subscribers at Gator Country, I do uh, I do a newsletter and and I I mentioned that I think truly that he should shoot the ball twenty times per game and I I mean again like what you said Neil regarding his shooting off the dribble guarded I mean well he's shown that he's shooting those shots at like a, above thirty six percent level this season so that you know above a point per, per possession that's a shot for the Gators right now right now Florida is just not maximizing their offensive efficiency by like, again, if you're going to start a possession with, and again, this not just trying to pile on these guys, but uh, whether it's a Scotty Lewis isolation or a Noah lock pick and roll or anyone other than Trey man guarding a pick and roll, you're not maximizing your offensive efficiency. I, I mean, again, if I, I, I'm no football expert, so I, I, I should always kind of be tedious when bringing football into my basketball takes. But, uh, you know, there was a lot of uh, lot of talk during the football season regarding how many snaps Emory Jones should take over Kyle Trask. And a lot of people said you should never put the ball in Emory Jones's hands because every time you do, you are downgrading your offense inherently because you're taking the ball out of the hands uh, of one of the best quarterbacks, if not the best quarterback in college football. And and I just kind of feel that way with, with Florida's offense. Like, 
any time that they come out of a timeout and choose to do something that's not going to be in the hands of Trey Mann, they're downgrading their offense. If they're choosing to run, uh, running these pick and rolls, particularly for anyone other than Trey Mann, while Trey Mann is on the floor, you are downgrading your offense. So uh, again, like I, 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 it's crazy too, because I mean, if you said that, if you told me, you know, Trey Mann's going to score 20 plus, I would have been like, oh, he's probably going to hit three or four threes. And he didn't even hit a three in this game. So I thought that was pretty crazy for him to just get all that in the paint and do it so efficiently. That's pretty crazy. But, you know, usually my Trey Mann should shoot 20 times a game take is like he should take eight or nine or 10 three point shots. Um, for him to just keep getting in the paint, hitting floaters, uh, very efficient floater game. We'll see uh, that probably won't hold entirely, but, uh, but he also had some nice finishes at the, at the, the rim. Like, um, uh, yeah, like, like, and this is a situation too, where like, let's say Florida gets into the NCAA tournament as a seven seed, which looks to be where they're at right now. Let's say they win their first game. And in, in, in game two, they're ending up playing a team that is objectively a lot more talented than them and objectively the heavy favorite to win like Florida really needs to maximize every possession they have. And I like, that would be the time where it's like, no, this, this needs to be like, this needs to be a force feeding of, of, of Trey man and Colin Castleton and Noah Locke shooting, catching to shoot threes. I also feel the same way, much like I feel like Trey man should shoot the ball 20 times a game. I, I truly think Noah Locke should shoot like 10 threes a game, even if some of them are not great looks because he has shown that he can catch and shoot not great looks. So, um, yeah, that is that that is my utmost agreement with you, Neil. That uh, that Trey Man should shoot more. Yeah. So, like the, the other thing is, like you're saying, I mean, it's just an upgrade efficiency wise from other sets that you're going to run, and by some distance. Uh, and I, you know, keep in mind he scored that many without a three last night against a Missouri team that's actually quite good at defending two point baskets and defending the interior. That's what they do best. Now, Alabama went 10 of 25 from deep against them, Eric, uh, and and lost. Um, and the reason they lost is they went 11 of 41 on two-pointers, which is where Alabama has feasted on a lot of teams, including Florida. Like, we're going to get looks at the basket, and eventually we're going to make those threes. And, you know, if we even shoot 35% from deep, that's really good, and we're going to beat you. Uh, Florida was getting what they wanted at the rim. And, and yeah, I mean, man, it's not always going to make all those floaters, although his floater is a little more like Keontae sometimes in that even if it's not off two feet, like there's a lot of balance a lot of the time off that first foot, right? And he's got that rear foot planted and then steps up and it's, it's a knee and he's still got his elbow under the basketball as opposed to just pushing it at the rim. So I think it is a little bit different. Um, style of a floater so it's going to go in a little more than your run-of-the-mill floater which i guess is good uh, but you know so my point is i'd still rather have him shooting those than some of these uh things that that florida uh is doing and and you know that is all to say that the gators played i thought much better on offense in the second half even though they're still running some of these actions that were curious um but, but certainly were better in the second half. I had one thought offensively before we get to the defense is that I actually thought it wasn't a, a very good game from Colin Castleton. And I thought that in the 14 minutes that Omar Payne played, uh, he was actually pretty good, both defensively and um, while he's not ever going to be a guy that I don't think he's ever really going to be a guy that's going to create his own offense. But, you know, he managed to get fouled once. Uh, his free throw shooting looks a lot better. Like I might have rolled with him a little bit longer in this game uh, just because it seemed like 
from just an athletic standpoint and strength standpoint, he was a little more comfortable banging with Tillman. But I don't know if your your thoughts on Castleton's game offensively before we get into the defense. Yeah, I mean, Castleton's obviously had an awesome year. We've all really enjoyed him, and he's brought something that that I think everyone thought you know knew the Gators really needed. But the, the thing with Castleton that you that we've kind of seen is that he is someone who has really been able to take advantage of smaller players, but hasn't yet shown the ability to to really be able to score against bigger players. Like you you saw even like like again, we know that he had some rough games against um, against Kentucky playing against some good bigs, uh, but even playing against Auburn, Auburn wasn't a very good team, but you know, he struggled with JT Thor and he struggled with, with Dylan Cardwell. Like he's, he struggled to, to score over those, those bigger players. And uh, I just think that's something that's uh, that, that is kind of just the reality about Castleton's game right now. Uh, still, he does really well when he has the length advantage, he's got really good touch. So if he's taller than someone and he can get a good look at the basket, he has the touch to convert at a really high level. But yeah, we've just we've just seen that he has not been able to like like maybe he's got a quickness advantage over Jeremiah Tillman, but he wasn't able to to really leverage that. And uh, that'll be the next evolution of, of his basketball game, I, I think, is he's got a he, he's shown he can properly overpower and, and, and shoot over smaller bigs, which, again, like not every big man can do. I'm not trying to minimize that. Uh, he, he's shown that and that's great. But, yeah, the, the next evolution will be, yeah, you play against a six foot 10 or six foot 11, 250 pounder. Uh, now let's see how he can use his quickness. So. So, yeah, I, I did think he had a rough time. I think he was getting just manhandled under the rim. Um, yeah. And and again, I do think that that Payne had some good moments when he was in there. But uh, but man, like Omar Payne, he was like again, we've talked about it on the past. Like he he is undersized in a lot of matchups, and he was very undersized against Tillman, who had a couple post ups where he just drop stepped, used his wide shoulders to just carve Omar Payne out of the way and score. So uh, I think that they probably went for Castleton with just a little bit more size, but. Uh, uh, yeah, I do. I do think that that pain had had some good moments. Definitely. So let's get to defense. I thought, um, you know, and, and we agreed throughout the offensive portion of the podcast. Let's see where we are uh, thinking and agreement wise on defense. I thought a pretty solid defensive performance from Florida uh, in the second half. Here's what I'll say about the fire in the post, because I think this is let's just get right to where the meat of disagreement can be. I've seen some. Uh, and we're probably going to agree, but we'll see. Uh, I've seen some some people that have asked, hey, you know, should Florida have even doubled? And my answer is I think that's the proper scout against Missouri. I think Missouri is a team that analytics say finished in the 300s and three-point percentage a year ago, is in the 270s uh, coming in this year. Obviously, we know that uh, especially Mark Smith and Drew Smith are guys that can bury it if they're open. Um, but you know, I still thought it was the right scout. I thought it was the wrong execution. Uh, that's my thought. And it's a consistent execution error that Florida's had. And that's what frustrates me is that, uh, as Eric shot out some video on Twitter and I tweeted in a box, but if you're going to quote fire the post then actually fire it, don't like kind of lollygag your way to the double team, especially when you're playing a, a senior, who's a good passer like Jeremiah Tillman, and it just killed Florida. And Tillman's able to use his size to seal off any help on that gets out to the perimeter when he makes the right pass, and you get these like wide-open looks. Um, and Missouri hit again, Eric. They, you know, like I, I think – so I calculated in their um, – despite their three-point numbers in their last uh, two games against the Gators, uh, they are now 22 of uh, 40 
from deep. So lighten Florida up. I think, like you said, um, it's still probably the right scout. I mean, again, Missouri's been bad three-point shooting teams these last couple of years, and and Florida has gone into those games saying we're going to let them shoot jump shots and uh, kind of live with the results. Uh, unfortunately for them, they uh, they were able to uh, to shoot well both games. And again, like that, one of the things too that that I kind of think happens with even teams that are bad shooters is like if you give a team a bunch of wide open threes to start a game, that that is what settles bad shooting teams into mediocre shooting teams and mediocre teams into good shooting teams like if you and again you we mentioned how poor the the gators were especially in the first half there was times where falling out of their press and falling back into that zone where they just had some wide open threes or florida scrambled made some wide open threes early i I think that that kind of got them feeling pretty comfortable some of these mediocre shooters and then it comes to the second half and uh yeah they were it, it was kind of target practice at times because again like Jeremiah Tillman, I mean, he just could not have looked more comfortable seeing Florida's second player coming to double team, kind of with a little skip in their step. They weren't running aggressively, kind of skipping over to the ball, um, not really trying to uh, aggressively get the basketball. They're they're just, you know, hands up, trying to be big, and Tillman just could not have been more comfortable. So, uh, again, like, when this is how Florida has doubled for the last couple of years, I I think that that's – probably what they're they're meant to do uh it's just again i, I guess it's it's preference um I, I like when i coach my my guys i i think when that second guy comes in um he is he is aggressively trying to get the basketball he's not standing there trying to be big that's what the first guy is doing the first guy is going to wall off and try to make that pass stuff the second guy needs to be trying to rip the ball out of his hands and i don't care if you're tyree appleby and jumping on stilts to try to get it if, if tillman's going to hold it over his over his head that is still that is going to make him uncomfortable and not make him scan the floor and make the whatever easy pass he sees because that's what happened all night all night when when florida was double teaming was uh jeremiah tillman just had all the time in the world um to just scan and, and again this was partially because i think the guys were slow to double um but it was also because when guys were there both both players that were double teaming were content to stand up there with their hands straight in the air and, and just try to look big they weren't trying to force the ball out of his hand so tillman was able to to just be comfortable just read the defense and he made the right pass and as you mentioned he's a great player and a senior so he's just so used to it and that was something that um Oh, I forget his name, but a couple of the guys from Rock M Nation, a Missouri site, they do really good Missouri coverage there, Rock M Nation. Um, they both pointed out that they're like, man, like teams have been sending double teams from the the lowest player on the opposite side of the floor for all throughout Jeremiah Tillman's career. Um, so they were they kind of went went back in my tweet and were just like, oh, you know, Tillman does this to everyone. And like maybe that's the case. Tillman's great, but but again, I I think it was it was a little bit of of, of Florida being so soft to double. And uh, yeah, I, I if if you want to see some of those results, yeah, I, I tweeted them out. And also uh, there was just about as many that I didn't tweet out that I that I could have. That were, some of them were points, some of them were wide open shots that that Missouri missed. But uh, yeah, they were getting whatever they wanted. James McLean uh, is a uh, a college player that listens to the show and and uh, asked us. If we thought that, you know, he said he agreed with the double team to get it out of his hands initially and let someone else beat you. But as the game progressed and he started doing it and they're getting inside out threes, uh, he wondered if you two would have shifted away from it, changed the plan up and just said, try to guard him the best you can. He said, I felt against West Virginia that Florida did do that, that they stopped and decided they would they would let other people beat them. Uh, Did you think that would have worked last night? 
<laughs> well, I, I think Jeremiah Tillman just absolutely devoured Colin Castleton and Omar Payne when he had one-on-one opportunities in the post. There was uh, uh, there was actually a play that was quite similar to the Colin Castleton play where Colin Castleton had his uh, had his technical foul, uh, where Tillman just did the same thing and just you know ripped him to one side for a layup. And uh, again, his just shoulders are just so wide and he's so quick and and uh, he's tall and was just able to get whatever he wanted on the inside. So I could I can see why why Florida was. Uh, wanted to continue to, to double, but um, again, if they're going to double like that, then yeah, probably you should consider something else. But um, I, I do think it's interesting, and of course, this is the advent of, of the analytics world. Is you, you look at all these teams and how and how common it is for for teams to to double team in the post, uh, and then you just kind of look at uh, at the numbers and say like, well, from a points per possession standpoint, um, how good are they of uh, at, at generating offense out of the post? So like Missouri entered the game at zero point nine points per possession. Um, on post-ups and plays coming out of the post, um, that's actually a pretty good number. That's above average. It's still 0.9 points per possession, and um, that's something you can often live with. So I, I do think sometimes too, um, you, you've got to like you've got to force some players to to try to score one on one because I do think people are so quick to look at a Jeremiah Tillman and be like, oh yeah, you've got to double. Um, but again, I'm just I'm just pulling up Jeremiah Tillman's stats right now. Um, so yeah, well, I, so he's one of the best post up players in the country at uh, at one point one points per possession. That is fantastic. So I could see why why Florida was. Um, like, hey, maybe uh, maybe we've got better chances uh, doubling. So, so again, I, I could certainly see the argument for like, hey, let's let's uh, let's see if uh, let's see if we can kind of stay key to shooters now that they're doing well. But um, yeah, I, I, to be honest, I, I if it was me, I would be double teaming, but I would be double teaming better, for lack of a better term, more aggressively. Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I thought it was an execution issue, uh, you know, and I think Florida battled some focus issues in the first half. I don't think you can really argued too much about that when you have 15 first half turnovers that I think I'm sure that, you know, I find it hard to believe that they're coached to double less aggressively than they're the, to, to double like that. Like I, I would imagine that when they fire the post in practice, it's a hard fire. I mean, you'll hear Mike White or Mincy yell hard cuts, hard cuts on offense. So I think that they certainly, you know, do preach, you know, urgency. Um, but, you know, then again, it's just been a recurring problem. So it seems like something that, that really ought to be fixed by now. And if Florida's going to have a chance to beat some of the better teams that they're going to play here coming up, um, really good basketball teams from here on out, you know, it's got to be better. Uh, because, I, look, if they play this team in Nashville, I think it's going to be the same plan. And you're just going to have to hope that, you know, a guy like Xavier Penson misses one of those shots. You know, maybe Mark Smith doesn't hit uh, – all those shots, you know, I, I just think that's the gamble that Florida's taken the last two times they've played. It hasn't paid off, but I don't think Florida's going to change anything necessarily, uh, Eric. Um, so let's talk about the end of the game. Uh, Florida does get Tillman fouled out with 19 seconds to go uh, on a pretty good call. Uh, he definitely pushes Castleson out of the way. Uh, you know, Tillman, part of the reason Missouri was able to really control Florida on the offensive glass, eight Florida alive with 11 offensive rebounds. The Gators only got four, but Florida was in a good position in a box out there. They get a foul. Castleton hits the free throws and then uh, break down that that last play for us. <laughs> yeah, uh, very good play for uh, by Missouri. I, I'll, I will say that from from the right from the start. And again, I think Kwanzaa Martin coached uh, just fantastic game. Um, and uh, this this play was just the, the culmination of it. They they run that side ball screen for for Drew Smith. 
Um, something I think was was pretty interesting was, uh, and again, oh, this is actually something that's you know I think is interesting. Whenever I see a team execute a game-winning play really well, I like to go look back at earlier plays in the game and see if they ran anything similar, just to see if maybe they saw something that worked and then uh, went to it in the clutch. Uh, they didn't run any pick and rolls like this all game, so uh, they kind of put four players flat at at kind of the free throw line level. So like kind of you know one side of the free throw line one side of the free throw line and then free throw line extended on on both sides um they they run a ram ball screen so a player sets a ball screen for mitchell smith or sorry not a ball screen sets a screen for mitchell smith who is then going to go set the ball screen um so in doing that uh they're now occupying the help which uh again is going to come into play a, a little bit uh but uh but drew smith with the ball on the side uh looks like he's running a, a ball screen to the middle Trey Mann, of course, is uh, uh, thinking he's going to go play into play into the middle, and he gives up baseline. And uh, because Florida likes to play the flat hedge ball screen defense, Colin Castleton was ready to try to get up to the level of the ball screen, so he was in no position to help. And I know that that was talked about by myself and a bunch of people on Twitter last night. Uh, the fact that uh, that Trey Mann can't really give up baseline in that situation, and that because of the way that Florida plays pick and roll defense that Colin Castleton was not going to be in a position to help if the, if Missouri rejected the ball screen like they did. Uh, but more than that, because of the way that they spaced the opposite side of the floor, Missouri did uh, because they were, were flat because they know that Florida wants to send uh, the lowest player on the opposite side of the floor and he's going to be the help defender. Uh, they flattened out and then ran that, uh, that action to screen for Mitchell Smith beforehand. So Florida's help was kind of occupied and then they were flat. And then Anthony Derugia and Noah Locke did not know who was supposed to be the help in that situation. So, uh, so they were, they were late to rotate. So uh, just a really good play design by Missouri and uh, really good execution by Drew Smith. And uh, unfortunately, because we love the guy and I thought he actually defended really well this game, uh, a mistake by Trey Mann who just cannot let, cannot let Drew Smith uh, reject the ball screen in that situation. Yeah. And I mean, if he's gonna, the other thing he did was looked at the screener just for a second at like the worst possible time. Um, and he should not be. He should not be. He should be focused on the ball handler there and trusting that his teammates will communicate about help uh, or the screen. Um, and it's the first thing you do. Don't look at the screener. Stay on the ball. Um, it's an eye control thing. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, if you watch it on on tape, you see as soon as he glances at the screener is when Drew Smith goes. So uh, just got bit there. Um, I did have a a question from a listener, James Swafford, who asked if white had had two bigs and an actual small forward in the game, then there would have been a defender to rotate and stop the drive. But alas, that was never to be Teruji was trying to steal someone much bigger and all the rotations are late. Your thoughts on that? Uh, well, well, again, in, in that situation, like, like yeah, it would be it would be great if that was the situation where uh, where you'd have a second big that was uh, that was in position to help. But but again, in this situation, like uh, and again, I'm re- I'm not I'm not blaming um, Noah Locke for this, but Noah Locke would be the the player on the the weak side of the floor that would technically be the the lowest. Um, the other thing too is because Trey Man got beat so quickly. Um, it's just so hard. It's just so hard to help when, when a player gets beat that quickly. And uh, Missouri was occupying those players really well and spaced the floor in a way that there was confusion. But but again, what I'm getting at is if you're a team like Florida that that is going to send help from the lowest player on the opposite side of the floor, that's almost always going to be, uh, be another guard, um, especially because, again, teams that are good at pick and roll offense know that know how to attack 
teams that play this way and, and the way that they space that floor, especially with uh, so much spacing to the corner these days, that's almost always going to be another guard. So, uh, yeah, I mean, like, would you love to have like a six foot five, six foot six shooting guard? Like, a, would you love to have Kwesi Reeves in that situation? Um, yes, definitely. But uh, I, I don't think that, uh, again, like, let's, if it was, you know, Twin Towers with, Omar Payne out there at the four. I, I don't, that still probably wouldn't put, uh, wouldn't have put Florida in much of a, a better situation. Like just again, the, the way that, uh, the way the teams are going to space the floor uh, against a team that sends help from the opposite baseline, lowest defender, uh, it's almost always going to be a guard. So no, I, I don't really think that um, playing with, uh, with two bigs and even like a, a true small forward would have really helped Florida in this situation. No, neither do I. I think the, about the only thing that would have really helped Florida in this situation is Keontae Johnson. Yeah, he'd probably help in a lot of situations, uh, definitely. Because <laughs> <laughs> guess who I think is not guarding uh, Drew Smith if Keontae mm-hmm. Johnson is on the floor? <laughs> you know, I also don't think it's a two-point game with 19 seconds to go if Keontae Johnson is on the floor. But, alas, it isn't to be. It's going to be like one of the great counterfactual discussions. Eric and I have talked about this off-air a couple times. And, like, I think what we all look back on this season will – We'll certainly wonder uh, what may have been. Florida has lost uh, three games by double digits if you toss out the FSU game, which I'm pretty sure the selection committee is going to do. It was nice to hear uh, Jeff Goodman kind of mention that on a podcast this morning. Like, well, I don't think anybody's going to consider what happened to them with Florida State. They're really a 13 and and uh, six team, and and we'll see what happens Sunday at Tennessee. Um, but you know, he he was talking about how Florida's season has been admirable, but probably disappointing to some of their fans. And, you know, maybe that, that does hit the nail on the head for some, who knows. Uh, but I think, you know, aside from that, as Eric and I have discussed, it certainly be a point of conversation is, you know, what, what is, what would this team be uh, looking at this month? If, if Keontae had, had been available, but they still have enough talent as Eric and I have mentioned plenty of times, uh, to, to be a team that plays on the second weekend, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't like talking about it now because it just feels like, yeah, it just feels weird to talk about a player that's like sitting on the, or standing on the sidelines um, about what it would be like if he didn't nearly die in the middle of the basketball floor. Like there's just like no really real normal way of having that, that conversation. And again, it's kind of like, I, I do see this team on the, uh, that Florida has, and it still looks like a complete basketball team with a lot of talent. Uh, but at the same time, like I, I truly think like, just like as like sports fans, as Gator fans, as people who talk about basketball, it is a truly interesting conversation to be like, how mm-hmm. would this have been if, if if he was on the floor? So it's it's uh, it's yeah, it's definitely a fair conversation to have. It feels weird now, but uh, the 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 time will come. Just like just like again, I mean, I spend a lot of time being like, huh, I wonder what it would have been like if Devin Robinson decided to to come back, or if uh, Michael Frazier decided to come back. Um, and you can think about, oh, what what would those teams have looked like, um, or what would teams look like had Florida gotten you know so and so recruit or so and so transfer. I mean, it's um, those are interesting basketball conversations. So of course, these these circumstances regarding Keontae Johnson's makes it uh, uh, makes it a little stranger. But uh, still, like I mean, obviously it was a, a outstanding player who the Gators expected to have and they didn't. So so di- discussing what they would be uh, what they would be had he been able to play. It's it's still a yeah, it's, it's worthwhile. To, to talk about, I think. I'm having fun with some of these comments, and this one just made me laugh. <laughs> it's an expression of just how bad Doug Shouse is. And this is actually true. This is another one that was 30 feet away from me. 
the the late Tyree Appleby drive where he was just absolutely mauled <laughs> by the Missouri Tiger. And Doug Shouse was just going to stand there. Um, and fortunately, uh, it was called by a referee standing at midcourt watching the play. Um, you know, Doug Shouse, it's an, it's an experience. It's not quite the Jimmy Dykes experience, but it uh, certainly impacts the game a little more than Jimmy Dykes does. Um, so Florida will now uh, swallow their third home loss of the season. And I think Eric and I have talked about home culture being something that we both would like to see improve. The Gators go six and three at home this year. Not uh, great, not terrible. Um, they played uh, only, yeah, no, them in South Carolina played the least number of home games in the SEC. South Carolina had the huge COVID pause. Even Texas A&M, who did not play a basketball game in the month of February, got to play more home games than the Gators. But some, but for some reason, the league office decided that they would send Florida to play Tennessee, who has played the second most home games of anyone in the league. And so the Gators will close their season, regular season in uh, Knoxville on Sunday. Same scenario as last year, except you're not at home. Um, if Florida wins, they secure a double bye. If they lose, all bets are off, and they could drop as far as the sixth seed. I think last year they just dropped to the fifth, and then the season ended because of COVID. But uh, your your initial thoughts on the rematch with the Volunteers? Yeah, I hadn't thought about the uh, the home game thing until you mentioned it uh, when you texted me. Uh, yeah, pretty interesting. I mean, I, I honestly wonder, though, too, like, I, I know you made the point that it would have made some logical sense for Florida to play Texas A&M, uh, just in the sense that they that would be – when that happened, then it would be like, okay, then they've been able to play everyone um, in the league. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I see that, that Tennessee gets a home game against Florida. I, I, I wonder if it was – I, I I don't want to say that they were like whatever colluding or something, but hey, maybe they mentioned uh, maybe te- maybe Tennessee was like, well, we we would like to play that game, but we wanted at home, and Florida was like, hey, we're trying to better our NCAA tournament. We don't want to play Texas A and M, uh, and we want to play Texas. And if the SEC is like, well, you know, if we're going to make it happen, Tennessee doesn't want you know Tennessee has to okay this. Um, they want to play at home. Maybe something like that happened. I don't know. Probably didn't happen, but uh, it's it certainly just to see that uh, that disparity in the the whole home game situation, uh, pretty interesting. So, uh, you know what? Like before um, before the Missouri game, we looked at the fact that Missouri was uh, a lot lower in the metrics, like the like the net, than they were in um, something like the AP poll and in even the eye test. We kind of talked about you know how good do we think this team is really? Uh, Neil, I'm interested. Uh, Tennessee a team that's uh, also a little bit all over the map in terms of um, how good people think they are. Um, I, I'm just interested. How, how good do you think Tennessee is? Well, I mean, uh, like 25th in the coaches poll uh, out of the AP poll now um, for the first time uh, <laughs> as you enter March, you never want to leave the poll for the first time when it's March. Um, and how good do I think they are? So I think that they are improving offensively. It, maybe that's a hot take. Uh, maybe it has to do with who they're playing. Let me tell you why I think they're improving offensively. I think the main reason is that they are now just really, really relying on Jaden Springer and Victor Bailey. Um, and they are telling those guys, shoot the ball. Uh, and so if I were Florida, my biggest concern would be that Victor Bailey went one for 12 against the Gators in Gainesville, and it's probably not going to go one for 12 at Thompson Bowling, and that Jaden Springer did not play. Um, so those would be the two things that 
I'm immediately worried about. Here are some interesting numbers. When we look at Jaden Springer, who's the team's leading scorer, and when we look at Victor Bailey, and just kind of want to get Eric's thoughts on this, um, and he can tell me if I'm crazy, but these are Eric, these are Springer's shots in February. 17 attempts versus Kentucky, 11 versus Georgia, 14 versus LSU, 11 versus Kentucky, 8 versus Vanderbilt, 8 versus uh, South Carolina, where he had foul trouble, and 14 versus Auburn. So a ton of attempts, like more than Trey Mann by a lot in every I – mean, his lowest was 8. Um Victor Bailey, even more silly. Uh, eight versus Auburn, 14 versus Vandy, 10 versus Kentucky, 16 versus South Carolina, and 10 versus Georgia. Uh, that's their last six. So when you look at those games and you see, you know, what they've done, um, is it's just really put the ball in those guys' hands. And Victor Bailey, by the way, in his last four games, has made, um, let's see, eight of 16. 12 of 24. He's 19 of 34 from deep in the last four games, Eric. So the guy's on fire. Um, And I think obviously that's lifted them offensively. What's surprising, even though they're still six in the metrics defensively, Eric, is teams have kind of been able to score against them. Yeah, the the Mets. The the metrics about uh, about Tennessee are pretty interesting because obviously they look like a team that's not very good offensively and is really good defensively. But like I mean, I I saw them hang eighty points on Kansas, who is a really good defensive team, and then they they scored eighty two on Kentucky, who's a good defensive team, and they scored ninety three on South Carolina, who I think is a good defensive team. So like they they, they have scored, I think, better than their a lot of their national perception is or even even local in the sec and then like you mentioned i mean even defensively it's like well they they lost to kentucky when kentucky scored on them a bunch they just lost to auburn where auburn scored a bunch without sharif cooper like it's just interesting where like i i think that they're probably not as good defensively as a lot of people think and they're also a lot better offensively than they think so i I am some like again like i know that like they just looked awful against florida i know they've lost like three of their last five I I I still like I I don't know I still see the talents of this Tennessee team and uh, I still think they're really good Uh, I think that uh, I I think that they're they're again like a team that has a lot of talent and unfortunately right now like the the sum is less than the the whole of their parts or what you know (laughs) don't think I said that correctly but again I just don't feel like they're exactly getting the most out of their team uh but I see the way that uh, I see that they have so much talent on the wings uh so much athleticism on the wings they're going to be a tough matchup um for a lot of teams um including I mean I again I thought they were going to be a tough matchup for Florida in the first matchup of the season um that obviously maybe wasn't the case but uh yeah I still I still see them as a as a really talented uh, opponent that uh, is going to be going to be very tough despite the fact that yeah they're they've just lost uh lost three of the last five and that uh florida was able to just hammer them despite not having colin castleton or, or scotty lewis yeah i mean that's a good point when we talk about springer being out obviously florida didn't have lewis or castleton either uh so we didn't really we don't even know what castleton will do against uh against Fulkerson, and we don't know how that will change what eve ponds does defensively and how he, he impacts the game uh, I do think to some extent, while they rely so heavily on Springer and Bailey, they also kind of go as he ponds goes. Um, I don't think that's particularly a hot take, Eric. I, I think he's just so central to what they do defensively. And when he plays smart offensively, they're a better offensive team. I think when he forces things offensively, they're not as good offensively. And and that's 
been a problem in some of the games you that that I've seen them play in, where it seems like Pons is forcing some things. He certainly seemed like he was in Gainesville, although they had gotten behind uh, rather quickly in that game, and I think he was trying to give them some sort of lift emotionally um, to be a leader. But it's a big challenge. Florida hasn't won uh, in Knoxville <laughs> since the last season of the Billy Donovan era, Mike White. Uh, it's 0-3 up there. Of course, we all remember how they lost there uh, a season ago, though, uh, with uh, John Fulkerson decided to make his first career three-pointer. Um, you know, so, look, Florida typically, when their backs are against the wall uh, under Mike White, they tend to respond. Um, you know, William Morris, here we go. Williams, William Norris is on fire tonight. Yes, statistically they're due, right? <laughs> um at the same time, I think you're dealing with a desperate Tennessee team. It's the third straight game where a Florida opponent's going to have a week to prepare. Uh, people who are, people I tweeted that last night, and everyone's like, "Those sound like excuses." And I'm like, "It's amazing when you tweet facts, and people like read intent into like the fact that you tweeted." And you're just like, "This is an actual true statement. It doesn't mean it's an excuse. It's just they've had a week off since they lost Auburn in a loss that probably wounded their pride." And Rick Barnes called out their ability to, like, you know, do anything right <laughs> in the post-game conference uh, press conference. I mean, I think they're going to be mad, and and so will Florida. So it could be one of these crazy March games where you got bodies on the floor and all kinds of stuff. That's why I, I hope Trey Mann shoots 15 times, Eric. Like, if you're going to play a game this important um, for your resume, tournament resume – NCAA seeding, SEC tournament seeding, you know, um, give your best players the ball and let them go. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's the thing as well. Like, let's say that, uh, let's say that, uh, let's say that it's Trey Mann, Noah Locke, um, Tyree Appleby, Anthony DeRuji, Colin Castleton. Well, you're probably going to allow Eve Ponds to guard Trey Mann, which is going to be tough. Um, he's a great defender uh, because of the two smaller. So I, I'd be really interested if, if Florida did play, uh, go back to a little bit more of like Trey Mann, uh, Scotty Lewis at the three and, uh, and and Noah Locke. See if they can get Pond. Like, like, what I really want is I want Santiago Vescovi guarding, guarding Trey Mann. And if that's the case, that's going to especially be like, like if, if on the wings is Keon Johnson and Jordan Josiah James and Jane Springer and Eve Ponds, like I, I, we've spent enough time lamenting Scotty Lewis and Noah Locke running pick and rolls um, on this podcast, but man, if they're being guarded by Keon Johnson and Jane Springer and Josiah Jordan, James and Eve Ponds, like things could get very ugly again. So, so again, I see like if, if Keon Johnson's guarding Tyree Appleby and, and Jane Springer's guarding Noah Locke or, um, uh, or, or Scotty Lewis uh, and it's Santiago Vescovi guarding Trey Mann. Like those are the opportunities where I would just love to see them go to Trey Mann over and over and over again. Um, I also think John Fulkerson is a guy that, that Noah Locke will be able to take advantage of uh, as much as Fulkerson always has played bigger than his, his frame. He still is like, I, I mean, he's listed at six nine, but I, I, he was listed at six eight the rest of his college career. So hey, maybe as a senior he he jumped up, but uh, and I mean he's listed at two hundred fifteen pounds, so uh, not a not a massive player, and that's the kind of guy that that uh, that Colin Castleton hasn't been able to finish over the top of. So so I like that matchup a little bit, um, but uh, but yeah, overall it's it's just like if if a, if there was a game for for Trey Mann to to shoot a ton, it's it's when 
Mike White scans the floor and sees some really good defenders guarding Tyree Appleby and, and Noah Locke or, or Scotty Lewis and a not so good defender in Santiago Viscovi guarding Trey Mann. And, uh, yeah, I would. I, I, I. This would be. This would be the time. Let's. Let's. Uh. Let's run it up for for Trey Mann coming off a couple of hot games for him. So one guy that was pretty integral in Florida's uh, route of Tennessee the last time was Niles Lane. Played 19 minutes. Uh, was the defensive player on five of Victor Bailey's 12 shots. Uh, Bailey went 0 for five uh, with Niles Lane guarding him on those shots. Niles Lane is. Uh, I think. I think it's 0.44. Uh, points per possession uh, in one-on-one situations. So uh, by far uh, Florida's best one-on-one defender, a little curious that he didn't get to play in a game where uh, that was pretty guard dominant uh, the other night. I know Eric's answer to this question, but we've got a, a duty to our listeners to discuss uh, whether we'll see Niles Lane again after he was uh, very, very good on the defensive side of the ball and help Florida hold uh, Rick Barnes to the lowest points per possession total in his tenure at Tennessee. Does Niles Lane play one minute Sunday in Knoxville? Um, 0.44 is the his points per possession allowed as the primary defender. Uh, 0.44% is, is my confidence that we'll see Niles Lane play more than 0.44 minutes. Uh, no, I just, I, I think he's just been on ice for so long. I think it's pretty, pretty clear that, for whatever reason, he doesn't have the the faith of of the coaching staff. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm not not sure exactly why, but hey, we're we're not in practice, I guess. But um, th- like you mentioned, there's been several games in, in the past couple of weeks where I think Niles Lane could have definitely, if there was a game for him to get in, it would have been one of these games where there's a lot of guards on the floor that Florida is unable to guard on the perimeter. Um, that's the exact matchup that that Lane would look good in. Um, so for, if, he, if he's not going to get in, in in that matchup, again, I just, I, I don't really see it. So uh, no, um, I, I know you had to ask the, ask the question um, thinking that uh, <laughs> whether I thought it might happen. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's gotta be a no for me, but uh, Neil, do you have any, any, uh, any more faith than I that, that he'll play more than zero minutes? No. And by the way, Tennessee has finished in the bottom 30 of the country in um, assist to field goals made ratio uh, in the last three years. Some of that is a byproduct of their flex offense, Eric, but um I mean, goodness gracious, if ever there was an offense designed to play a guy like Niles Lane, <laughs> it's probably defending the volunteers. And, um, you know, it, I, I agree with you, and I think I'll be frustrated by it. Because, again, I just don't think Victor Bailey is going to shoot one for 12. Uh, and I don't I don't think uh, – and I think Florida – Jaden Springer changes the way they space the floor. So – you've got to deal with those two things and you know, you, then you need Scotty Lewis to be very disciplined, um, which we all know is kind of hit or miss. Um, and so, you know, those are challenges for Florida. Uh, and I do expect, you know, Tennessee, like we said, they're going to be desperate. So uh, hopefully the Gators are up there and they're desperate and locked in. Cause I look, I'll say this, and I don't know what your thoughts are on it. I do think Tennessee is still pretty good. I think they're a like Florida a team that could go to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. I think if Florida is locked in and focused and plays with urgency, that they will win the game. 
Uh, I, yeah, I'd have to say that's uh, that's the case. I mean, they've they've obviously shown that they can they can beat Tennessee, and I I, I do think that Tennessee is a really good team, but uh, I do think there are some some matchups that really work in Florida's favor. And uh, yeah, I, I I would definitely say if if Florida if Florida does what you said, or like how you mentioned it, um, yeah, I, I do think it's a game that uh, they've got to be comfortable uh, comfortable playing in and and pretty confident knowing they can get a win. Yeah, uh, Vols don't play many guys. I mean, I think it's, what, a seven- or eight-man rotation. It's two teams that have really shortened their bench. So I love these games. I mean, you really get these, like, super March feels for them. But it'll be fun. Um, It'll be a lot more fun if Florida wins. And I think it'll be a long week waiting for the uh, SEC tournament if they don't, even though uh, a loss will mean Florida basketball on Thursday at the SEC tournament, which not the situation the Gators want to be in, but uh, certainly – didn't get it done at home, you know? So if you don't protect your home floor, you put yourself in these positions and, and that's where the Gators are now. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, definitely going to be something that, uh, that remains a discussion point, uh, winning games at home. Who knows? Maybe Florida wanted to, wanted to play this game on the road. Uh, we, we'll see. But, uh, uh, I, I, again, I, I didn't uh, didn't mention it back when you when you said it, but uh, re- regarding the fact that uh, you, that Florida is now playing a team that uh, that has a week to prepare, um, I, I do think that Rick Barnes is a very very good coach tactically. Um, I don't like a lot of what he does off the court, um, but uh, mm-hmm. but I do think tactically he's a very good co- coach, and uh, he is someone that I think in uh, uh, in a, in a week of preparation uh, that's 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 going to be tough. So so again, we saw. Uh, Missouri, I think, really get the most out of their guys and, and the most out of their uh, their their game plan by by coming in with a really good scout and a really good plan. Uh, I, I think the Florida is going to see that again. So um, again, they've they've they'll, they'll they'll have to execute and to have to take care of the ball a little bit better because uh, uh, we saw them turn it over a bunch against uh, against Missouri, who's not very aggressive. Uh, Tennessee is going to play those passing lanes um, a lot more aggressively. Uh, so this could be a, yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's hope for a little more ball security. Yep. And uh, we will close uh, this show by giving a shout out to Kiki Smith, who uh, is a senior for the Lady Gators basketball team, played her final game uh, as the Gator today. And if you're going to go out, go out like Kiki Smith, man, 36 points. Uh, Florida put a real scare into Kentucky uh, at the SEC tournament. And, like, I know that they had a losing record. And, I, you know, I I go back and forth. The, like, ask me two days from now if you are what your record says you are, and I'll probably give you a different answer than I'll, than I'll give right now. I do not think this Florida team was what its record says it was. I think they were better than that um, and, and really damaged, obviously, by the Lavender Briggs injury. But – Shout out to Kiki Smith. Like, if you're going out, drop 36 in your last game. Leave it all on the floor, baby. Yeah, we might have to do uh, do an offseason look at women's basketball. There's actually there's actually a good amount of uh, Florida women's basketball talk um, on Twitter the other day. Unfortunately, it was kind of centered around uh, why has the women's program not been particularly successful um, in recent history. So we, we might have to get into that because because truly I, I, I just haven't uh, – haven't, mentioned it as much times as I should. I definitely watched it a little bit more when Lavender Briggs was playing this year uh, because she's awesome. Um, we'll try to get it more into it in, in future seasons, but yeah, it would be interesting to take a look at like why why has why have the Florida women not been uh, been quite as good as you might expect, considering that you know all across campus Florida women just absolutely dominate at uh, at every sport it seems, um, other than women's basketball. So uh, so hopefully soon, but uh, but yeah, maybe that's maybe that's off season content for us. 
yeah, I think we should. I think we should visit it. But shout out to Kiki Smith. Hopefully, uh, we have a happy show on uh, Sunday night, and um, we're, we're going to get into some stuff uh, Sunday night too. We may have a special guest join us. Could be could be a lot of fun. So, um, thanks for listening, everybody, and um, we will be back on the weekend. <laughs>